Welcome to the past. I'm so pleased you've downloaded this 11th episode of Tales from Tudor Times. This podcast is a companion to my series of romantic suspense books with time travel twists. The first of these novels is Tangled in Tudor Times. There's so much history that doesn't fit into a novel, and that's where this historical tidbits cast comes in. Like the Tangled in Tudor Times heroine, Bella Salas, there are things that you might notice if you're unexpectedly tossed into the 16th century. This 11th episode is King Arthur and His Gang. I thumbed through the pages. Let's see, where did we stop? The sprite Nemu had seen 14 summers by the time she came under the wizard's tutelage. Merlin might spend an entire night casting a spell that would change a stone into gold, but the fairy girl could transform that same lump of precious metal into an enchanted harp or gilded flower with a mere wave of her hand. The wizard had taken on more than he knew when the water nymph came to serve as his apprentice. You've just heard an excerpt from Tangled in Tudor Times. Does it leave you wanting more? If you haven't already done so, Stop by Amazon and pick up Tangled in Tudor Times in either paperback or Kindle format. By the way, the Tudors reigned from 1485 to 1603. When I mention the reign of Queen Elizabeth I's daddy, Henry VIII, I'm talking about the second Tudor ruler who reigned from 1509 to 1547. This is sometimes called the Henrician era, even though his daddy was also a Henry VII. When I refer to the Elizabethans or the Elizabethan era, I'm talking about the period between 1558 and 1603, when the last Tudor monarch, Elizabeth I, was on the throne. Arthurian legends were especially important to the Tudor dynasty because Henry VII had slipped into the line of English kings as a result of the War of the Roses. The Tudor line's right to rule was questionable, One of the ways that they established themselves and gave their subjects the sense of their having the rights of ancient kings was to identify with the equally ancient chivalrous legends of King Arthur and by naming their first son Arthur. Arthur, of course, died young and his brother Henry VIII succeeded to the throne. So who was Arthur? Arthur was thought to be an ancient British king He has been spoken of and written about for over 1,600 years. In early times, people shared legends of Arthur over the fire or in minor historical or possibly pseudo-historical documents. Some of these have been found in early writings, such as those of Gildas, a 6th century British monk, and the 9th century History of the Britons by Nennius. Typically, Arthur was spoken of as a warrior, No doubt there were many different versions of these stories, but he wasn't written about extensively until sometime in the 12th century. As time went by, Britons continued to enjoy the legends of King Arthur and his cohorts, knights, gentle ladies, mystic beings, and magical creatures like dragons. In the Arthurian legends, the king and his knights defended Britain against invading Saxons, an area that is currently a part of Germany. In some stories, He and his knights also fought against those magical creatures I mentioned. Early authors, like Geoffrey of Monmouth, who wrote the 12th century history of the kings of Britain, and the French poet Chrétien de Troyes, 
also in the 12th century, wrote their own more involved versions of these legends. Geoffrey extended the basic warrior king story to include a daddy, Uther Pendragon, a magician, Merlin, a beautiful wife, Guinevere, and a sword, Excalibur, from the island of Avalon. He told the story of Arthur being conceived at Tintagel and that he had an evil son, Mordred. He also included Arthur's being laid to rest at Avalon. Poet Chrétien de Troyes added individual poems about the round table. Such a table would have no head because everybody's equal. Several of Arthur's dragon-slaying knights and the wondrous court of Camelot or Camelan. By the time Mallory wrote about the great king, we're talking Tudor times. Mallory's version of the Arthurian legends published on William Caxton's printing press, the latest thing in Tudor technology, came out in the same year as the beginning of the Tudor dynasty. It was the first of the Arthurian tales to be printed. People who could read, and the number of people reading in the Tudor era was on the rise, really enjoyed these stories. Three more versions were printed over the next century and a half. Entangled in Tudor times, Sir Thomas Hobie had a copy of this book in his cabinet, which you might call an office nowadays. Printed books were now somewhat more available for the gentry who had a little extra money to spend on a few books. Interest decreased in stories about Arthur and his cohorts after the mid-17th century, but Mallory's Tudor-era work was again reprinted actually several times when a popular interest in medieval romanticism sprang up in the 19th century among authors like Tennyson and Wordsworth. Some of my favorite art by William Morris also shows a strong interest in this Gothic romantic style. Why have listeners and readers always liked these stories so much? Well, there's something for everyone in these tales. The heroism of Arthur doing righteous battle with help from his pure and noble knights, saving his people from evil invaders and dragons. Also, these stories were chock full of people, both men and women. Those listening to or reading these stories could choose from a variety of characters they could identify with. Many of the knights associated with Arthur have different names that change depending on their source in Wales, Cornwall, England, or elsewhere in the British Isles. The men's names are familiar in various versions of the story. Stories. There was King Arthur, of course, and his best buddy, Sir Launcelot. Other familiar knights were Sir Gawain, Sir Geron, Sir Percival, Sir Bors the Younger, Sir Lamorak, Sir Kay, Sir Gareth, and Sir Bedivere. But like many other women over time, it's the gals I find the most interesting. Many of the women whose bios also vary depending on the author, the source of the story, and their times, continue to live on in these legends. My favorites are Arthur's wife, Queen Guinevere, the Lady of the Lake who handed over Excalibur, the sprite Nemu, who in some stories traps the wizard Merlin for eternity, and Elaine, who died of unrequited love for Launcelot. My favorite is the sorceress Morgan Le Fay. Some of these ladies have been combined by different authors and tr been transformed into one woman. In the mid-16th century, the Tudor king, Henry VIII, played at being his own version of the ancient king. 
in the persona of Sir Loyalheart. Henry enjoyed playing at jousting in the company of sweet, adoring maidens. Though he commonly carried his wife's love tokens into his mock battles, he doesn't seem to have turned down those of other women. We know he was actually far from loyal. Henry adored fighting in these tournaments, and many who attended the shows he put on enjoyed them. The chivalrously styled revelry increased their pride in being a part of his kingdom. Who told the truth about Arthur? Was he real? Though many historians declare that Arthur is an unhistorical person, others think he may have been more than one man, a bunch of British warriors who lived either at the same time or within a short period of history, possibly the 5th and 6th centuries. Perhaps the exploits of these great fighters combined to be thought of as the accomplishments of one man, also known as Art the Bear King, or Son of the Bear King Uther. Is Arthur coming back? Those of us with a touch of the Fae are sure that Arthur sleeps on the magical Isle of Avalon, waiting to come back in England's time of need. Britons like knowing this heroic man is out there, ready to return and save them. But despite many centuries of challenge, he hasn't returned to help his people out. Well, not that we know about. In this excerpt from Tangled in Tudor Times, Bella Salas entertains the Hobie family by reading aloud from Mallory's treasured Mort d'Arthur. Of course, as many people have over time, she altered the classic story to suit her own whims. Lady Hobie had decided that the Queen's massive embroidery project would inspire her daughter to improve her handwork skills. Since my own abilities with a needle were minimal, I'd been appointed to read aloud to Lucy while she stitched. One of the books in the Priory's limited library was Le Mot d'Arthur. After a quick review, I'd taken a few liberties with Mallory's work. Lucy liked the Arthurian tales devoted to Nemo the best. The youthful water sprite wasn't much older than the Hobie's daughter when she became Merlin's student. I gave the fairy a crystal-walled cave and made the wizard young and handsome. I'd always thought it was creepy that Mallory paired the aging Merlin with a young girl. Knowing Lucy's enjoyment of vigorous play, I also gave the mystic maiden an active lifestyle that included ball games and romps with a pet cat who strongly resembled Lucy's own cat, Hinkle. The stories kept the girl busy with her cloth and needle, and she wasn't the only one listening attentively. I had noticed that Lady Hobie moved more slowly through her ledgers when Merlin's student was engaged in her spell work. On this day, we had just gotten to the point where Nemu entered her magic grotto. The fairy was going to use it to imprison her tutor, Merlin, for eternity. Philip Wright had suggested this, but swore me to secrecy. The guy had a good sense of humor. It would be a lot more fun for Lucy to imagine locking up her own tutor if she didn't know he'd come up with the idea himself. Want to hear more about Bella's visit to the Elizabethan era? Tangled in Tudor Times is available at Amazon.com as either an ebook or paperback. Look for Tangled in Tudor Times on Amazon.com by clicking on the description link in your podcast app or search Amazon for Tangled in Tudor Times. And if you're wondering about leaving a review, please do. Reviews help me move up in the Amazon queue so that more people will see this book. See you in the 16th century.